Okay, good morning. Please do take a seat. Great, we're in Acts uh, for one week only. By now, all the going's good. Uh, so shall we pray um, before we start? Lord God, we do thank you for uh, the gift of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to us by your Spirit through your word this morning, that we may uh, be people transformed more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, uh, we pray. Amen. I'm no uh, great fan of flying, I really don't like it, so for me, one of the great moments of a flight is um, the announcement from the flight deck after the trauma of landing, when you realise you haven't crashed and burned, uh, which tells you the local weather and tells you the local time. And you kind of fiddle with your watch, don't you, to set the new time. And the announcement is made so that you can adjust your watch and bring your life, if you like, into line with what is going on uh, where you've landed outside uh, the plane. And I think that Acts 2 works in a similar way, in many respects, to that announcement from a flight deck. Because in, in terms of God's dealing with the world, the day of Pentecost, the day when God pours out his spirit on his people, it announces a great big shift, one time zone uh, to another. It ushers in a new time zone that's been in place since that day that we live in uh, today. A time zone of the last days, and it requires us, it demands us to adjust uh, our watch. Do have the passage open, it's page uh, 1093, if you haven't uh, got it in front of you, 1093. It's fair to say, isn't it, that the day of Pentecost has been a source of much confusion and contention. We've got what sounds like a violent wind, what seem to be tongues of fire, people speaking in languages they've never learned. Not an average day in the office, you'd have to say. And those present on the day, they were certainly confused, weren't they, verse 12? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, we're going to look at the events of this passage, the explanation for them, uh, and then look at the significance of them uh, for us uh, today. So first, what what of the events? I think of the events we see, don't we, that God was present. God was present. Just look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all sitting together in one place. Pentecost was was a sort of Jewish harvest festival, a bit like what you find in in some churches today, a time when the first crops uh, from the harvest would be presented. People would thank God uh, for his uh, goodness. And on this day, all the believers, they're gathered together in one place, and then suddenly there is this amazing audio-visual display. And do you see the three unmistakable signs, three signs that God is present? Look at verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You know, this is no random uh, act of nature. In the Bible, if you read through the Bible, uh, a wind is often a symbol of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, at work in the world. So on the day of Pentecost, when we read about what sounds like a mighty wind, brain in gear, we know, you know, this is not a random This is the unmistakable, the tangible presence uh, of God at work uh, in the world by his spirit. The the fire, it makes the same point. Look at verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
As with wind, fire is so often a symbol of the presence uh, of God. How does God first appear uh, to Moses in Exodus? From flames within a bush. When in the Old Testament God guided his people on their journey to the promised land, he did so by sending a pillar of smoke uh, by day and fire uh, by night. Fire in the Bible usually teaches us God is present. At Pentecost, God is there, wind and fire. But God's presence is perhaps most obvious, isn't it, from the third thing that happens uh, that day. Look at verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then we have the list, don't we? On to verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So we've got God's Holy Spirit miraculously helping these Christians to speak in other tongues or other languages, as the footnote says. There is evidence, isn't there, in the Bible of uh, God helping believers to speak in non-human languages uh, as they pray to him. But that is not what is happening here. That's not what's going on on this occasion. These Christians, they are speaking fluently and intelligibly in unlearned human uh, languages. It would be a bit like this, I think. We go up to uh, the covered market in Norwich after church. A group of us go up. We can speak uh, only English. But as we start to speak there, at the covered market, the, t- the Japanese tourists, they stop and listen as they hear Japanese being spoken. The, the German exchange student, he-, he stops as he hears Jesus being spoken about in German. That. The busking panpipe bands, they, they stop playing and they, they, they hear Jesus being spoken about in whatever language they speak. Who knows? But you know, the Galileans, they weren't skilled language students. These guys have not been on a dodgy GCSE language exchange that no one enjoys. They were clearly speaking it clearly and audibly in other languages. And you can't get, can you, a more multinational crowd. That is the point that the writer Luke wants us to get in verses 9 to 11. This crowd spans the known world, east to west, yet it comes together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Bewildered, we're told, utterly amazed, perplexed. Why? Because the ability to speak like this is not a human thing. It is a miraculous thing God is doing through these people Yet, if you think about it, doesn't that fit so much with the biblical pattern? One of the wonderful things that God does by his spirit throughout the Bible is take ordinary people and make them into his powerful uh, messengers. Wind, fire, languages. There's one present on that day whose identity is unmistakable, who is behind all that is going on. That is God himself. Yet whenever God is at work, there are cynics, aren't there? There are jokers, 
those with a closed mind. We're told, aren't we, verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Do you note there, there is no denial of the supernatural events that have occurred. There's no considered thought about what has occurred, just a a lame and inadequate attempt to explain them away. It's too many beers before breakfast. So what is, secondly, the explanation? We've touched on it already. God has poured out his Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14. God's poured out his Holy Spirit. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk. It is only nine in the morning. Peter's saying, look, you know, pay attention, listen to me. They can't be drunk. Bars aren't open yet. Perhaps a more persuasive argument then than now, but it seemed to work. Don't, don't just be amazed by these events. Understand them. Get them. These people declaring the wonders of God in many languages. This is proof, proof that God has poured out his Holy Spirit in the world, that he has come just as he promised he would. Look how he continues, Peter, in verse 16. No, this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Peter says, look, remember your prophet Joel. Remember that God promised that through him one day he would pour out his Holy Spirit lavishly on all his people. This Pentecost, that day is here. God has poured out his Holy Spirit on us just as he promised he would. We probably remember, don't we, that Jesus told his disciples to await in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high. Here now, the waiting stops because God's Holy Spirit is poured out on his people like never before. A new era has begun. It is a reminder at one level of a great truth, is it not, that God is a faithful God. Every promise he makes will come to pass. His word is safe, it's secure, it's trustworthy. It can be relied on. And yet I think the significance goes far beyond uh, that, doesn't it? So what is, thirdly, the significance uh, of these events? There is so much that you could draw out of this passage. It is so deep. There's so much there. But I want just to focus on one simple point uh, this morning, and it's this. You can know God personally. You can know God uh, personally. The gift of God's Holy Spirit means any one of us can know God personally, intimately, directly. It is an amazing thing, an amazing thing we so often do not appreciate. It's something that many Old Testament prophets had looked forward to. I'll just pull out some words from the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, It's in chapter 35, verse 25, if you want to look it up uh, later. But this is... God speaking about what he will do for his people. Listen to these words. I will sprinkle clean water on you, 
and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. Can you sort of sense the anticipation in those words? Yeah, after hundreds of years of failure, God says, you know what, the days of constantly failing, they will be gone. The days of being disobedient, hard-hearted, they, they'll be done. Something new is going to happen. God says, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you to make you clean, to help you obey me. God will grant his people a new perfect, a perfect relationship with him. And those wonderful words, how, how, how much deeper can you get into the Father heart of God? You will be my people and I will be your God. Pentecost is the start of the fulfilment of that promise. Not everything is immediate. The, the work of transformation in us as Christians is gradual. But what arrived at Pentecost was the start, the possibility of that perfect uh, relationship. And this relationship that God promises there, it's a reality for us today. If we want it. Because this, this is a lavish, it's an abundance, it is a pouring out of the Holy Spirit for all people. The word pour out here has got a really abundant meaning to it. I will pour out my spirit. It's not a pathetic drizzle. This is a kind of tropical downpour, uh, if you like. I will pour out my spirit on all people. That is not each and every person without exception, as the context makes clear. Rather, it is all types of people without distinction. So, so do you see from verses 17 and 18, there's no sexism, it's for sons and daughters. No ageism, it's for young and old. No class hierarchy, it's for servants too. The gift of knowing God by his spirit is for everyone. That is why the tongues of fire come and they settle separately, individually, rather than corporately. God still does that today. He still pours out his spirit today on every Christian the moment they put their trust in Jesus. God pours out his spirit so we can know him directly, personally, intimately. Perhaps you're here this morning. There will be somebody here this morning who has probably never realised that, never known that God wants to know you in a direct, in a personal, in an intimate way. It seems too good to be true. How can God be like that? Is he not a distant, unknowable being? Too difficult to comprehend. How can God want to have a relationship like that with me, of all people? We've got in verses 19 here, the blood, the fire, the darkness. They point to the dreadful judgment that is to come. 
for all people. Yet do you see the call in verse 21? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, you can turn back to God. If you ask, God would pour out his spirit on you so you can live for him. He is that generous. Do you know him? Many of us, many of us here would have trusted in Jesus. And yet I wonder whether the truth is perhaps for us, these words, they just seem a bit hollow. In truth, our relationship with God, it doesn't really feel that vibrant. It doesn't feel as dynamic as what is going on in this passage. It seems a bit dry, perhaps stale, jaded. God seems distant. And the idea of speaking about God to other people, well, you know, it's not really for us, at least, at least not at the moment. Well, as we finish, just three encouragements, uh, if that is you. First, we need to trust what God is saying. We need to trust what God is saying. If we're trusting in Jesus, we really do have this direct, this intimate, this personal relationship with God, and it is permanent. God doesn't take back his Holy Spirit. Very often in prayer meetings, you hear a prayer something like this, Lord, I pray that you would be with me uh, as I lead this service, as I give birth, as I you know, do whatever it may be. don't know why I thought of that. <laughs> Lord, Lord, I pray you'd be with me. But, you know, you know, in many ways, those, it's understandable, but those prayers are redundant prayers because God is with us at all times. If we're a Christian, think through your diary this week, the places you will go, the people you will see, the things you will do. God's presence with you in those things is real. If we're trusting in Jesus, God's Holy Spirit is living within us, enabling us to relate to him as our Father, hearing us as we speak to him, strengthening us to live for him. I will be your God, you my people. We need to trust. Second, I th- this is a point actually that struck me most this week, yet I think is very basic. I think we need to devote more time to getting to know God better. I certainly do. We are so blessed in these last days and we don't realise it. Because in the, in the Old Testament, God usually gave his message to prophets through visions and dreams. If you wanted to hear God, you were dependent on a middleman prophet to relay God's message to you. The point Peter is making from Joel in verses 17 and 18 is that the prophet, the middleman, has been cut out. God now speaks directly to every Christian. This passage is not saying that God will whisper necessarily something in our ear, a direct plan or idea for our life. Rather, God has one principal message that he wants us to know about and respond to, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ, proclaimed by the apostles, recorded for us in the pages of the Bible. And as we open the Bible, as we read about Jesus, God, through his Spirit, speaks to us intimately, directly, personally, it's what one writer has called, it's a democratisation 
of knowledge of God. Yet the truth is, if we're honest, we're so often inclined to think that opening a Bible it is, un- it is remote, it's unexciting, it's unsatisfying. It's an indirect, unoriginal, perhaps even dull way of learning about God and his purposes for our life. And we do, don't we? Anything. We, we find anything to do but open a Bible, watch TV, mow the lawn. You, you will find something that we'll devote more time to in any given day. And we miss out. Because as we read the Bible, God by his Spirit, his Holy Spirit, he teaches us, speaks to us, trains us, corrects us, feeds us. Through the Holy Spirit, words become three-dimensional from the page. They light up our hearts and our minds. They help us to understand, to accept, to live for God. At times, it is hard work. Any relationship is but it is a dynamic, a personal, a transformative thing. Can I ask, what does your diary say about how much you cherish this direct relationship with God? I think third and finally, if we're a Christian here this morning, we can be encouraged that God will use us. Why? Because if we're a Christian here, we are a prophet. We are a prophet of God. Prophecy here simply means to speak for God about Jesus. That is what happens, isn't it, in verse 11. The prophecy Joel was looking forward to happens when the apostles declared the wonders of God to the nations. That is what Peter does, if you read on in chapter 2, in the remainder of this sermon as he preaches about Jesus, taught the crowd about Jesus. The gift of the Spirit, do you see from this passage how it is tied to the mission of the church? The gift of the Spirit comes and a teaching, a preaching, a speaking ministry is born. God speaks directly to us. And so we can can in turn declare the saving work of Jesus Christ to people around us. We don't need to wait, do we? We don't need to wait for a new rector have nine months of hibernation. We don't need more time training, PCC initiatives, whatever we think we may need. We can speak now of the Son of God who died for our sins, was raised to life, is ascended to heaven, is at the right hand of the Father, who will come again, the one who is both Lord and Christ. God's Holy Spirit will empower us to do that, will carry our words home with power. The Scottish church minister, uh, Robert Murray McShane, wrote this. He wrote this. But an inch of time remains, and then eternal ages roll on forever. But an inch of time on which we can stand and preach the way of salvation to a waiting world. We're in the last days. Let's adjust our watches and let's resolve, shall we, to use our inch of time well. Let's pray. Lord God, we do uh, 
Again, praise you. We thank you for the gift uh, of your spirit. Lord, for the wonder of what it is to uh, have the Holy Spirit living in us as Christians. And Lord God, we pray that we would uh, be people who would be open to be changed by your spirit through your word. Lord, that we would uh, look at the parts of our lives where we uh, know we need your help. We need your discipline. We need your encouragement. We need your challenge. And Lord God, that you would take us, that you would shape us by your spirit. That you would change us uh, into the people at times we long to be. And that you would use us uh, gloriously for the extension of your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.